This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Europe takes aim at Exascale. And Air Force flies true north. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, joined again by Michael Feldman. Michael, This Week in HPC, we're looking ahead to Exascale still, and there was a pretty big panel discussion not too long ago about European leaders and how they're going to get to Exascale, and there's not a lot of consensus about the best way to do that. Right. Some of the countries in Europe sort of are, are buying into this uh, this notion that there should be European-based technology in the exascale systems that they're going to deploy. Um, this was actually sort of come together last March when uh, there's seven of the biggest uh, countries in Europe signed this agreement that the ministers of those countries did that they would they would go forth with this idea and they would develop indigenous technology, mainly processor technology is what they're missing. Uh, to uh, to field, and there would be at least one of these systems, one of these exascale systems that would de- be deployed between 2022 and 2023 would be based on European technology, but not everybody is in agreement on that. There's, there's obviously challenges with that, and some of the people in the community and some of the countries actually are, are not, quite, uh, not quite confident that that's the best way to go. Yeah, there are exascale capable systems companies in Europe, most notably Bull as part of Atos, has said as much that they can deliver an exascale system uh, within a reasonable time frame. Uh, and, you know, their most likely early customer would be CEA. That's who's uh, taken a lot, taken delivery of a lot of the Bull's largest supercomputers. But when you start looking at the major uh, centers in Germany, uh, there's a lot of different technologies involved. And, and as you point out, uh, the processor technology is something they don't have in uh, Europe right now. So these, these have all been based on Intel processors and in some cases on uh, NVIDIA GPUs. And if they're going to set this goal of exascale out in, what, 2022, 2023, that's the part I think is really missing. I, you know, what could you do? License an ARM processor maybe, or, or on the outside, license an open power processor. I think both of those are possible, but you'd really have to get going if you were going to do something based on those and reach exascale in that time frame. Yeah, exactly. And and. The other consideration here is that there's no real company in Europe that has forged this path, at least in in the in modern times. Um, so it's it's not that they're building a small consumer chip. This is going to be a heavy duty chip. It takes you know hundreds of millions of dollars uh, or even billions of dollars uh, of of R and D um, plus you know all the supporting infrastructure and software that has to go around that. Um, now we've seen Japan is going to do that with their exascale program for their post K system. They're going to adapt a, an ARM, a 64-bit ARM processor with a vector processing addition onto it. But Fujitsu, who's going to be the main contractor there, has a lot of experience in building high-end chips in their Spark line. And they started on this a couple of years ago, uh, again, targeting about the 2021 or so timeframe. So it's a little... Uh, more reasonable path here, but with Europe and sort of the lack of uh, of history they have with this and expertise, it's it's a much it's a much harder uh, uh, 
challenge for them. Well, now let's remember, Bull did announce that they're going to have a blade for their Sequana supercomputer based on ARM. Now, that's not a custom chip. That's going to be a Cavium Thunder X2, right? Right, right exactly. So, you know, there's some ARM plans in that Bull line, but that's, again, different than having some kind of indigenous ARM chip. And then let's look right now how many ARM systems are on the top 500 currently. I right. Think, I think it's zero, zero right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so ARM is, is not exactly operating at petascale yet, let alone, you know, getting toward exascale in five years. I think that's just too far a reach. I'm fine with the idea of Europe reaching exascale in a five-year time frame, but I would I would be among the faction that's on the page of not doing it with entirely indigenous European technology in that time frame. I just think it's too far to go. Yeah. Well, Thomas Schultz was sort of on this side. He's basically, his take was basically the Europeans have been very good at software, the applications, the algorithms, uh, some of the tools, and they're good at taking other people's technologies and adapting the software to it. So, uh, you know, like they have some of the best, you know, weather forecasting software in the world right now based on, in, in the case of, uh, you know, uh, this the Swiss supercomputing center based on GPU technology developed obviously by NVIDIA in-house in, uh, in the U.S. So in a sense, they've taken the technology and sort of outrun to some extent the Americans and the Chinese and the Japanese in developing this. And from his point of view, that's sort of the way forward. They can, they can leverage other people's technologies, the best technology they can get handled, hold of, and use their software expertise to, to move the ball forward. And I think that software expertise is where people need to be focusing right now. If anything, I've been disappointed in all of the software efforts with Exascale initiatives around the world. I think there's so much focus on the hardware, the processor technology, the power consumption. I'm, I'm worried that we get lost on whether or not we have applications, let alone applications, operating environments, middleware that runs at this kind of scale. Uh, that's really going to be needed for Exascale. I would rather see a major software initiative. And if Europe can stand up an Exascale supercomputer that uses, you know, might prefer European technologies where they have them. You can have a European system vendor, maybe interconnects like BXI from Bull, or you could use an Extol interconnect there in Germany. You know, you can have different components that are European. But if you try to drive all the European hardware, I think that's going to put you so far behind on the software ecosystem that nothing gets done. Let's take the best of breed components where we can and work on developing software that'll work. That, that I think, would have the potential to restore Europe to the top of, of scientific discovery here. Right. I, and I think that, but I think one of the main concerns is there when they basically have to rely on U.S. based technology, sometimes they, that availability has sort of a six month or a year delay in getting that uh, that componentry into uh, systems that they've designed. I mean, there's sort of a, a layer of expertise and procurement that, that that enters into it. And the fact that it's not local, it does that some of that delaying. And it, it, it becomes it become important because, you know, there's there's actually companies in Europe that rely on on that competitive edge. I mean, there's you know, there's automobile companies, there's aerospace companies like Airbus, there's healthcare companies that more and more rely on 
sort of the cutting edge HPC technology to be competitive on a global scale. And if they have this, if they sort of have to be on the second tier of users, uh, that affects their global competitiveness too. That was a, a point uh, Matteo Valera made, who's the director of the Barcelona Supercomputing Center. He thinks for for the industrial community there, it it is important not to be a second-class citizen in on the hardware side. I reject that argument to some sense. If you're talking about at the absolute pinnacle of supercomputing, yeah, you're right. You wind up being second in line to national initiatives that are somewhere else. But trying to design your own processor technology is going to knock you back more than six months in this case. But when you get down to the level of the leading manufacturing and pharmaceutical and oil and gas companies, I don't, they're far enough behind the bleeding edge of the national research labs that I think you have a hard time putting putting forward an argument that a large oil and gas company in Europe has a substantial delay over access to American technology over a large American oil and gas company. I think system providers, when it comes to selling these commercial systems, are happy to take orders uh, in the order in which they come in the door. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that that argument is a little thin. I mean, in, in a way, you look at it from the 50,000 foot level, it's sort of unfortunate that uh, in a way that um, the EU here and Europe in general is sort of tying or is wedding the idea of developing this in-house technology with sort of the exascale goals, which is on sort of a more defined timeline. I mean, it's right. it's perfectly reasonable to think, okay, we want to develop in-house technology for various reasons. We want to control it. We want to, you know, be the masters of our own destiny, but to, to now put it on a five-year timeline, uh, you know, sort of constricts what you're going to be able to do now. I mean, it's it, yep. this maybe is a longer-term project that maybe needs to be separated out from uh, from the exascale efforts. Yeah, right. Not in the exascale time frame. That's my point. You can take Europe to exascale. You can also work on native European technologies if you want to have them in the long run, but to build uh, an exascale computer in that time frame with only European technology, I think is a fool's errand. I, you're, you're, you're just going to be too far behind. And if you could do it on the hardware side, you'd be so far behind in software that, that, that you will have made a mistake. Let's focus on building productive exascale systems where we can. And if you want to have a, a funding for a European processor company to come along in the long run, then then fine. But they're not going to be ready for exascale in 2022. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. They're definitely on the path here. And uh, they still have to corral the money from the different member states. There's just a little bit of money put up right now. And we'll see how it develops. It's it's definitely going to be challenging. And uh it's an interesting development. Europe hasn't attempted something like this in uh, in recent memory. All right, Michael. Also this week in HBC, a new story coming out of the U.S. Air Force. We've talked a lot about artificial intelligence, inference, neuromorphic computing. We've even in the past talked about the IBM Research True North neuromorphic chip, and that has now been enlisted into the Air Force, where the Air Force is going to uh, to build. I don't know what onboard uh, inferencing systems based on IBM True North. Well, it looks like they're not going to build onboard systems initially. What they're what the goal of this program is, at least initially, is to build basically a a, a chassis with 64 of these True North chips in it. Uh, presumably, it'll be 
ground-based at that point, unless they've got to put it in some sort of fighter jet that can house a, a 4U chassis, and, and that's certainly possible. But the, the, over, the overarching theme here is low power. These True North chips just chew up a few hundred milliwatts, and they do the work um, purportedly of, of what a GPU could do or, or high-end CPU or FPGA could do, at least on the inferencing side of, of like image recognition or audio recognition. So it's very apropos of, of what the uh, Air Force mission is to eventually put into some of these smaller systems where there's, uh, where there's very low power and space requirements. Yeah, now to recap people's memory on this, the IBM True North chip is a 4,000 core, actually 4,096 core processor, and it's a, well, it's a neuromorphic chip. It's designed to mimic the human brain. It has a million neurons and 256 million synapses, according to Dharmendra Moda, who you interviewed for your story on top500.org. So it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting chip and, and it, it works primarily well for, for inference in these AI environments. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things, certainly type of machine learning that where you, yeah, pattern recognition of all sorts of inputs, audio, visual, um, even radar, digital radar, things like that. Can it can go through these things rather rapidly? Um, obviously not, a lot of the software is not yet developed, but Potentially, it's very good at this, and it, and it can outrun something like a GPU or, or some other conventional chip uh, in the power performance arena where, where this is most critical for, for Air Force applications. So it has a lot of potential and uh, in the DoD in general, in the Air Force specifically. DARPA has funded this chip uh, before, before this has gone on. There, there were at least one or two contracts there. The, the chip itself has been in development since 2011, so it's moving along, and it looks like it, it certainly might have a future in, uh, in the Air Force and in the DoD. Well, that's what intrigues me, and as much as we're talking about this going into a 4U chassis right now, I, I think where the Air Force must have real interest in this is in the mobile and embedded uh, sense, where if you could put these... Uh, very high-speed image recognition inferencing chips onto a jet, or better yet, onto a drone, something that's unmanned, or even onto a missile. Uh, that and and you have drones and missiles that are that are now capable of high-speed, accurate image recognition. Um, that could be, you know, a lethal sort of weapon to have. Yeah, oh, undoubtedly, and and the idea that it's again it's just chewing up a few hundred milliwatts of power makes it all practical. I mean, they could uh, start start this process with GPUs, with the smaller GPUs, but once you start shrinking sort of the number of cores on those GPUs, you don't quite have the inferencing power that you might want for some of the really demanding jobs that the Air Force would want this for. So this this looks like an enabling technology. Uh, for them to do the sort of missions they're they're interested in. Fascinating stuff, Michael, and uh, something that we'll try to keep looking at. But in the case of the Air Force, I, I I think a lot of the really fascinating stuff might wind up staying on the classified side. Yeah, I have a feeling there's a lot of uh, information that we're not going to see, but uh, it's it's good to see some of these public announcements about some of the programs they're implementing.
All right, Michael, we're heading into a holiday weekend here in the U.S., but we'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.